There are 12 different techniques that help you with the day-to-day -day stress that you should practice. So stress is the greatest danger and we all will have stressful events. Someone will die in the family. Someone will cut you off on the road. You may get sued, etc. But whatever it is, it's how you react to it that's the key. And if you have posse and passion, that decreases it greatly. And then it is doing those techniques. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Wellness, a podcast brought to you by the Columbia Association. I'm Dr. Harry Okin, a community physician for over 35 years and the Columbia Association's medical director. I am proud to be working with the Columbia Association for over a decade to assist in their mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. It's my pleasure to introduce our guest today, a friend and colleague I've known for many years, Michael Roizen is the first chief wellness officer of the Cleveland Clinic, and he served there from 2007 to 2019. He was the founding chair of its Wellness Institute. The clinic's wellness programs have helped the clinic not to spend, that's not to spend, over $1.2 billion for its 100,000 employees and dependents over 11 years compared with the national averages. So Dr. Roizen has really directed really special ways of understanding health and doing it in a financially responsible way. Dr. Roizen is the recipient of many awards, in particular, the Emmy and L and Paul Rogers Best Medical Communicator Award from the National Library of Medicine, a very prestigious award. He initiated and also developed the real age concept, which may be familiar to you to motivate behavior change. That started the concept that 60 could be the new 40. He now believes soon that 90 will be the new 40. How you can prepare for this is described in his upcoming book, as well as app, The Great Age Reboot and Reboot Your Age app. That app will be available soon and will be very useful to help employers motivate employees to sustain health-promoting behavioral change. Dr. Roizen is certified in internal medicine from Harvard, where he did his medical residency, and anesthesiology from the University of Southern California. He is a Phi Beta Gappa graduate of Williams. He was AOA from his medical school. He now serves 50% time as the Cleveland Clinic Chief Wellness Officer Emeritus, and is also a full professor at the Lerner College of Medicine of the Cleveland Clinic at Case Western Reserve. He's authored nearly 200 peer-reviewed scientific publications, and he is, in addition, he is a four-time New York Times number one bestseller. The first one that got significant notoriety and is available in five different countries is called Real Age, Are You As Young As You Can Be? His books have been translated into many different languages. He helped start 14 different companies. He invented a drug for the FDA. We are so glad to have Mike with us to talk about how to reboot your age. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Harry. Only two things I need to change from that. I actually did my residency in anesthesia and was on the faculty at UC San Francisco, not USC. So I'm sorry if that got confused. Yeah. And I think that's probably uh, all I really need. And the drug was approved by the FDA and is now being sold. I sold my rights to it a long time ago. Well, you're a busy guy, and so thanks for being here with us today to share some thoughts. So we'll start off. The big question, can you really be 40 when you are 90? 
we've expanded life expectancy by about two and a half years every decade since 1890. And by we, I mean medical science and the people involved in that. Initially, it was from sanitation and improving the diseases of young people. Then it got to be managing chronic disease like hypertension and type 2 diabetes better. But in the next 10 years, we expect to see a 30-year change in life expectancy. This is really unprecedented, and it's with about an 80% probability. It's not a 100% for sure. But with that, you will be able to reboot yourself younger. What do I mean by that? Well, there are 14 areas of research into aging mechanisms, and all of them have been shown in at least two animal species, some in three, and many are moving into human trials now, to make you function as if you're younger. Because of that, we expect to see this greater population of aged people, but functioning and having the energy levels, capabilities, etc., of someone much younger. So instead of 60 being the 40 of 1980, we're now thinking 90 will be the 40 of 1980, with again an 80% probability. So I think it is likely, and we now know what you can do to self-engineer yourself younger. A lot of it is in the book, Boom. So uh, a lot of it is in your own book and how we do that and, and what you've been talking to the Columbia Association about is exactly what they should do to prepare for this reboot. So exciting to think that we can even at age 60 or 70 make some changes that might make us so much more functional and feel so good. So it all starts with our genetic inheritance, right? And genes that we can stimulate, genes that we can inhibit. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we have about 22,500 genes, of which maybe 1,500 are on. What do we mean by on? They're producing proteins. All genes do is produce proteins or watch other genes. When the Human Genome Project started in about 1992-93, it was expected that we had enough DNA in our nuclei, in the nucleus of our cells, to have 300,000 genes. But we only found 22,500. What were the rest of the DNA called? Initially, it was called junk DNA. But after eight years, it was found out that it was really switches for our genes, switches that turn the genes on or off. They're now called epigenes. And whether your epigene is functioning to inhibit or to turn on your gene is to a large degree under your control. Let me give you an example. When you exercise, you turn on a gene in muscle. That is, you got to stress the muscle. It's not just any exercise. When you stress that muscle, it turns on a gene that makes a small protein called arisen. Arisen gets across the blood-brain barrier and stimulates brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor production, turns on another gene, and that makes your hippocampus and the connections in your brain bigger. It is like miracle growth for your brain, which decreases your risk of dementia in the long run. So why is physical activity so good for your brain? 
It's because you're a genetic engineer for you turning on that gene. And whether it is stress management or physical activity or your food choices or avoiding what we call unforced errors with smoking and vaping, you are a genetic engineer for you that changes about 80% as far as we can tell. That's an estimate of which of your genes are on or off. That's an excellent explanation for how we have control of what happens to us. So I'd like you to talk about a little bit about the basic pillars of health, which are part of the genes. I've heard you speak about that before, the five pillars of health. So the most important is stress management. I'll get back to that. The second is food choices, portion size, and time. That is nutrition. The third is physical activity. The fourth is avoiding unforced errors, such as from vaping or not getting second opinions. The fifth is sleep and brain health. And I link those together, if you will. So those are the five, if you will, pillars. Now, what's the most important thing? I said it was stress management, but really it's your friends. I consider you a friend. So this is a benefit to me getting to talk to you on this podcast. Forget all those other people who may be listening, the 28,000 families in Columbia. It is you and I talking and being vulnerable to each other is a huge thing. The second, so that's part of my posse, you need six people that you consider your friends with that you talk to once a month in both the Whitehall and Alameda County studies that show that's a powerful way of ameliorating the adverse effects stress has on you. And by the way, a little stress is positive, and we'll come back to that if we get time. But the second way, so posse is first and passion is second. And I know this is a passion for you. It is for me to help motivate people to understand and thus get motivated to choose healthier behaviors. So we got to thank Brendan, who's the engineer for letting us do this. But it is really to get to be if you will, have that passion. Now, there are other techniques for relationship stress. It is, um, if you will, deep breathing and guided imagery and progressive muscle relaxation. And there are a whole bunch of them, if you will, meditation. There are 12 different techniques that help you with the day-to-day stress that you should practice. So stress is the greatest danger and we all will have stressful events someone will die in the family, someone will cut you off on the road, you may get sued, etc. But whatever it is, it's how you react to it that's the key. And if you have posse and passion, that decreases it greatly. And then it is doing those techniques. The second most important is food choices, portion size, and time of day or time you eat it. So I, as you know, I eat in an eight-hour window from maybe 11.30 in the morning to 7.30 at night, that shifts me into ketosis, which seems in the studies to help keep reduce every one of the aging biomarkers. And then five days a month, I go on a 1,000 calorie for the first day and 750 calories for the next four-day diet. Again, getting to ketosis, especially in the fourth and fifth day, which again, helps reset your body to decrease aging biomarkers. I avoid 
five foods that are hazardous, if you will. We call them the S5S foods, simple sugars, added syrup, simple carbohydrates, foods with saturated fat, and if you will, foods with trans fat. Those foods are bad. So you say, are any food bad or good? Yeah, those five foods turn on genes in your microbiome, in the bacteria inside your body, or in you that cause inflammation. So the net result is inflammation in you, which leads to heart disease, stroke, memory loss, cancer, and uh, if you will, all the things that are bad, such as osteoarthritis. So your choices in food make a big difference. And so it's both time of eating, and then you wanna have a low enough weight, which is how much you eat and portion size, so that you're under obese levels. That is, for men, it is a waist less than 39, for women, less than 37, ideally less than half your height. So that's the second one. The third one is physical activity. And I'm probably taking too much time actually in going through the five, but there are four physical activities that have been shown to make a difference in how long and while you age. Any, such as 10,000 steps a day or step equivalents. People say, ah, where'd they get the 10,000? Well, it actually was a random choice of a guy in Japan who was trying to sell pedometers, but it turned out he was absolutely right. We now have at least 13 studies that show that 10,000 is the ideal point for the minimum amount of walking or walking equivalent you do to get to reducing chronic disease, decreasing breast cancer, colon cancer, type 2 diabetes, literally heart disease, stroke, and memory loss. That's the number that shows, and it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter whether you're Caucasian or African-American, doesn't matter whether you're old or young, it's that 10,000 has been shown in repeated studies. So, and it's step equivalent. So you can do it like stepping, I'm on a treadmill, as you know, I have a treadmill desk. And so I'm on a treadmill and can show you, I can do that now. I, I try and stay still while doing the podcast. But in any case, second one is resistance exercise. It takes about 20 minutes a week, six core muscle groups, and you want to exercise those. So bent over back row, lunges, squats against the wall, push-ups. Those are four that get some of the major muscle groups that you want to do. Planks is a fifth. And so those gets most of the major muscle groups. The third is after you've done those two. So the first one you want to get the 10,000 steps for a month every day. Then you go to the resistance exercise added in. Then you would add in cardiovascular exercise. And as you know, we have this all in the Great Age Reboot book and the Reboot Your Age app, which is coming out about the same time this uh, podcast will run. So it's in the Reboot Your Age app, how to do this. And the third one is cardio, and you want to get to 80% of your age-adjusted maximum heart rate for 20 minutes, three times a week. What's your age-adjusted heart rate? It's 220 minus your calendar age. And uh, for women, it's a little different, but that's close enough. And then the fourth is 20 jumps twice a day. That's for bones and spinal cord, spinal discs. So those are the first three of the things. And then uh, 
brain health, there are 33 things you can do in addition to getting between six and a half and eight and a half hours of sleep a night, which is key. The one we haven't talked about is unforced errors, such as smoking and vaping, not getting a second opinion, buying drugs off the street instead of through a legitimate pharmacy, etc., all of which are, or texting while driving, all of which can cause accidents that cause disability that reduce your ability to do the other things. So those are the, the big five area, and I know I've uh, been on a monologue, I apologize. This is great. So that is great information about stress, about food choices and activity. You know, as a clinician, one of my big preventative interventions is to talk each time we do a comprehensive review about trying to decrease cardiovascular risk, number one killer in the United States, trying to detect and diagnose and prevent cancer. And the most dreaded thing that I think people really worry about is dementia. And so we're doing all of these interventions to try to maintain good cognitive function and prevent cognitive decline. So I'm going to let you talk a little bit about brain health maintenance, because that's such a big, important topic. There are 33 things or choices that have been shown in at least two studies in humans that decrease your rate of brain aging. We've already talked about stress management, which is number one. And number two is the physical activities, those four physical activities. And uh, number three, and there are 14 choices in nutrition. We've been over about, I don't know, seven or eight of those. But the ones that people don't think of as reasonable choices, but have really been shown are why I have my cup of coffee, or if you don't like coffee, green tea. Not quite enough data on decaf or green tea, but it looks like they do the same thing about half as well as old black coffee. So it has to be black. It should be through a paper filter to get rid of the thing that increases LDL cholesterol in caffeine, in coffee, but six cups of this decrease dementia risk and Parkinson's disease by between 25 and 45% in the studies. So that's another good thing. Another one is extra virgin olive oil on omega-9, that is a half tablespoon a day. And you can get that if you cook mainly with that. And another one of those is 1,100 milligrams of DHA, which is the active component of fish oil for the brain. DHA, you want to be a fathead because it helps with conduction. So DHA is the active component in fish oil. So you don't want to just get fish oil. You want to look and see that you're getting 1,100 milligrams. You can do that with two six-ounce portions of wild salmon a week or three portions of ocean trout a week, or four of six ounces of farm-raised salmon a week. So those are common things. And we can go through, there are more things in foods such as flavonoids and walnuts, which are beneficial as well. But the blueberries and black coffee are two that increase your energy level in the cells as well because they increase the in-cell antioxidants. And those in-cell antioxidants that are important 
glutathione, SOD, and catalase. You only have three in-cell antioxidants, and glutathione looks like it's a very important one for the brain. That's increased by coffee and by blueberries. So those are two things in addition, if you will. And we already talked about uh, avoiding simple sugars, added syrups, and simple carbs. Those increase inflammation. There may be, and we'll get to this in the Reboot Your Age app, some real benefit from allulose and triulose as choices in sugar early on in a meal to decrease the sugar absorption of everything else that has sugar in it, and fructose especially. The other two things I really want to bring up is smell and speed of processing games. Smell should be an easy one. So you take off the top and smell the coffee. That's one of the four smells a day that you should get. Your senses of smell, you can increase that by routinely both testing yourself and doing four smells. It can be garlic and onions and rosemary and coffee or the alcohol on a, on a one of the wipes you might clean off a table with now that COVID has gotten us to all have alcohol wipes. But those are some of the things, and it appears senses, hearing, sight, and smell are all important. So you want to get those checked, normalized. They're important for socialization, for your, if you will, your development of your posse, as well as being able to do your passion. The other one that is really important is what we call speed of processing games. So both double decision and freeze frame, and you can Google them on the internet. They're available from Brain HQ. There are probably some other speed of processing games, but those are the two that have really been shown in randomized control trials to decrease your rate of brain aging and development of dementia. So starting at age 73, they did speed of processing games and in a random, I compared them to reasoning games and, if you will, memory games. The only one that reduced dementia risk, and it did it in a huge way, just 10 hours in the 10 years, two hours a week for five weeks, decreased it by about 25%, 18 hours over the 10-year period, going from 73 to 83, randomized controlled trial, decreased it by a about 48%, just remarkable data now duplicated in other in another study. So two studies on this that really show remarkable prevention of dementia. So the point is that between food and physical activity, stress management, speed of processing games, smell, and the other senses, you probably, irrespective of your genome, are able, because you actually control your genes to a large degree, remember, and sleep, if you add all of those, you're probably able to well over decrease your risk by well over 60%, maybe even 90%. We don't have a lot of these things combined, so we don't know how many of these combined, but probably well over 60%, maybe even 90% reduction in dementia. So just think, if you had a 20%, which is an E3E3 E3 gene, by age 90, 
that if you reduce that 90%, you'd have a 2 or 2.5% two risk. Even if it was 60%, you'd have at most an 8% risk. Really radical. If you have one E4 gene, instead of having a 60% risk at age 90, you'd have a 6% risk. Huge benefits from doing these activities. So I'm a strong believer, Harry, in uh, what you're advising in protecting your brain. So it's both speed of processing mentally, speed exercise to stress the muscle, turn on that gene that produces arisen that we talked about that goes across the blood-brain barrier and reduces and produces brain-derived neurotrophic growth factor, which is like miracle growth for your brain. The bigger your hippocampus, the lower your chance of dementia. Wow. Really great, great stuff. Let's finish up with some information about sleeping and how important that is to restoration. Well, you probably can do a better job on sleeping than I should. So I should ask you, Harry. But the one thing I know, University of Rochester did some brilliant studies on what I call it the glia lymphatics. That's not the proper name for it, but it is the spaces in between your brain cells that get wider as you sleep longer and get dehydrated. So men know as they get older, maybe women too, that they have to get up to urinate at night. That's getting rid of excess water. Well, it actually is shrinking your brain cells a little bit too. You don't want to have a lot of water during the night and because you want to shrink those brain cells to open up the passages between, and that gets rid of brain waste. You know, all of our cells produce poop. And that getting rid of the brain waste is just like what happens in our legs or our arms or any part of our body. We produce waste and the lymphatics carry it back. Well, the, the brain doesn't have lymphatics, but this is a like a lymphatic pathway that opens up as you sleep more and you get rid of that waste during the night, much more important in the sixth and seventh hour of sleep than it is in the first because you're a little dehydrated and that dehydration of the brain cells is a good thing. You don't want a huge amount. You want to have water and coffee, or whatever your liquid of choice is. Coffee only dehydrates you if you're overhydrated. So you want to have some fluid in the morning when you wake up. But until then, getting a little dehydrated and getting rid of that brain waste is important. Now, other tricks with sleep, Harry? Well, I'm glad you asked that. You know, so the importance of a really of a dark room is so important. It maintains, it helps to maintain better sleep. And I think you're aware of just recent studies which show that if you sleep in an area that's not dark, it seems to make your insulin resistance worse. So that's a very, very important point. Plus temperature of the room and make sure you're sleeping in a very comfortable, low sound area so you're not distracted and woken up. But, you know, so sleep, I think you'd agree, most people, we shoot for six to seven hours of sleep is that sweet spot. And also going to bed at the same time every night, waking up at the same time every morning seems to improve our circadian rhythm. So all of these things are crucially important. Lastly, let me just ask you, we talked about, and you mentioned, which I thought was great information, the value of taking the omega fatty acid DHA which was so good for our brain. Any other supplements you'd like to talk about before we finish up? You know, for people who have sent in on the Great Age Reboot, and you can go and ask questions at greatagereboot.com, info or questions at greatagereboot.com, 
have sent in questions about over 50 supplements. There are some that are really good for our brain. Phosphocreatine, surprise, if you will, CoQ10, curcumin with bioparin or piperine. And so those are three that are really good. I actually believe in anything that decreases inflammation is going to help your brain. But those three are three spectacular ones that you helped evaluate as well. So I shouldn't take credit, Harry, but there are others. And so on the app, we go through all 50 plus of the supplements and show you the data on what is beneficial for what part of your body, if any, and what isn't and where the hazard is greater than the benefit. You've given us so much to think about. And one of the great things that I want our listeners to appreciate is everything you said can be backed up with evidence-based, peer-reviewed, published information, which is so important, you know, that we're getting the right information, that it's not just anecdotal, it's from lots and lots of published good information. And all of this is going to be easily found in the new book, The Great Age Reboot. And I'm so excited to talk about that and to encourage people to think about looking at it because it's a whole variety of information that can really improve our lives. So Mike, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Tremendous information that I hope uh, our listeners appreciate. And to close, I want to let everybody know this is Harry Oaken for the Columbia Association sponsored Finding Your Wellness podcast. Thanks for listening. You can tune into our podcast on dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. That's .pod, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Thanks again. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.